If, any, if anyone wasn't here last week, we're starting off our Proverbs study, and these books are available. These are our journal books of Proverbs. It has the entire contents of the book of Proverbs in it with space for journaling. So pick one up if you don't have one yet. Um, we would encourage you to, to read one chapter a day. There's 31 chapters, and you can read one a day. And Kevin noted last week, it really just takes a couple minutes to read a chapter and uh, keeps you connected. It keeps you in the Word. It's a good thing. We'll talk more about these disciplines a little bit later in the message, but pick up one of these books and get cracking. So, yeah. I'm reminded every time I preach of what a, it's a trust that you have in me to, to let me do this. It's an honor. It's a responsibility. And I, I'm sometimes more than others just acutely aware of, of not deserving that. But God's gracious. And if he can speak through a donkey, then I trust that maybe he can speak through me somehow. And I pray that he will. Um, I have a better, better source than the donkey had, maybe. A more... Uh, a more black and white source anyway. So, I don't have a long introduction today. I want to jump right in. I want to start off with a, a focal passage and then we'll pray. Um, this passage is not from the book of Proverbs, but I want, I want to set the context of how we want to look, look at Proverbs. So this is going to be from 2 Timothy 3, 16. And uh, Ralph, I've got a whole lot of references today. I'm going to, I lost Ralph. Is Ralph not in here? There he is. He, he asked me last week, he said, Brother, you're going too fast with those references, and I, uh, I, need, I need some help. So I'm going to try to be faithful in telling you where I'm going so that you can follow along if you want to. Uh, this is going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you know this scripture by heart, but I'm going to read it. Hear the word of the Lord. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you've given us this book of Proverbs, this, this collected wisdom from King Solomon. Father, you gave it to us for a reason, so that we could learn. Father, help us to learn. Teach us. Change our, change our minds. Transform our minds to be more like Jesus. And change our hearts to look to you for everything. Father, be with us today. Be with this sharing of your word. Father, be with me as I, as I talk today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Proverbs is a unique book in Scripture. We're going to be doing a, sort of another overview. Kevin talked a lot last week about the why. Why would we want to study Proverbs? And I want to, I want to try to look a little bit today at the how. How, how do we look at Proverbs? And um, so Proverbs doesn't, it doesn't tell a story doesn't really lay out comprehensive doctrine as such. It's very focused on behavior. It's really about, about your habits and about your disciplines, about how you conduct yourself in life. Um, and it honestly doesn't spend a lot of time on an eternal perspective, which is strange in Scripture. Um, it's really focused on this life, the things that you do and, and the outcomes of those things. But it does teach reverence for God, but it's not... It's not an emotional, gushing kind of adoration like we see in the Psalms. It's a, it's a very uh, quiet kind of adoration. Uh, very serious. Now, we're a Christian church, and we love the gospel. The gospel is God's good news. 
that while you're a sinner and deserve God's wrath and judgment for your wrong against him, God sent his son to take your punishment by dying on the cross. I'm, I'm reiterating this because it's so important. We all, we all have heard it maybe, but we, but we don't want to forget that's the point. He sent his son to take our punishment by dying on the cross. And what he asks of us is simple, to believe that he's done these things and believe that he will fulfill his other promise. And that is the good news. That is really good news. And there's more good news because Jesus has earned our salvation. We don't have to. And that's good because we can't do it. So given that we care so much about the gospel, we want to make sure we never neglect it. Where's the gospel in Proverbs? We'd like to find it. Where is it? And really the thing is, as I, as I looked, the gospel is not very explicit in Proverbs at all. Um, but what, what we find as we look in Scripture in the New Testament is that the gospel makes the Proverbs more meaningful and more important as we study them. Because the Proverbs contain principles and truths about life in this world, about how to live with discipline and integrity, how to respect others, and also how to deserve their respect. And if we follow this practical advice, we may very well reap benefit in this life. But what we won't do is refine ourselves to be worthy of God's redemption. We can't. Right? So we can follow all the advice in Proverbs, but it won't be enough. And, and that's the thing. The absolute best that we can expect from following everything in Proverbs is that we would have temporary success in this life. Which is good, but it's temporary. Follow, it's, it may last for a few decades, and then what is it followed by? Death, loss of all that we gained, and then condemnation for the sins we have already committed. So what good are the Proverbs then, if that's the extent of the value they can bring? Well, as I was looking at this, I, actually, I was actually drawn to the exact same scripture that we just recited in our confession of faith. Because it, it talks about some practical things. And Paul is telling Titus... As Titus is preparing to lead a church, and Paul's giving him instruction about how to lead this church. And he says, remind, this, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. As I, as I read this, sorry, I started ahead. As I read this, I want you to listen for similarities to the principles that we will find in, in Proverbs. Because Paul's giving Tim, Titus some really practical direction here. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Do you hear what he's saying here? We too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. When we read in Proverbs about the foolish and the disobedient, we read about failure, loss, and punishment. Those are the consequences of being foolish. And that's what Solomon focuses on. But Paul is saying, Paul is saying that the power of Christ can turn a fool into a wise person. 
It can, and our salvation, our justification can happen in a moment. Our perfection and our transformation to be like Jesus, our sanctification, takes more time. And it takes effort and it takes obedience on our part. That's why Paul is constantly reminding the church of what a redeemed life ought to look like. Because it doesn't just happen automatically. Now Paul told the Ephesian believers that their new lives in Christ should reflect the character of God and be marked with by diligence and wisdom. In Ephesians 5.15 we find this. Paul says, I haven't even read anything from Proverbs yet, have I? You with me, Ralph? I know I'm hitting a bunch of them. Ephesians 5.15 says, Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Listen to that. What's he talking about? Unwise and wise, making the most of the time. How many, how many references to diligence and hard work do we find in the Proverbs? A lot. A lot. He says, don't waste the time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is a very Proverbs-oriented direction that he's giving here to the Ephesians. Then Paul later reminds the church in his letter to Timothy about the value of Scripture. And he's saying, all things, and this is the focal passage that I picked, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, here it is. Proverbs is enormously valuable to us in the four ways that Paul mentioned. And this is my outline. Proverbs are profitable for doctrine, for teaching. Proverbs are profitable for reproof, for rebuking. Proverbs are profitable for correction. Proverbs are profitable for training in righteousness. So these four points that Paul is making about all of Scripture, we want to apply these directly to Proverbs today. And that's, that's going to be the focus. How do, these, how do these things that Scripture can offer to us, how do they apply in Proverbs? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. So, let's get started. Proverbs are profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is information. It's explanation. It helps us to understand the concepts and the truths of God. Sometimes, they're, sometimes it's a little abstract. It may include histories and stories of people who have gone before and the things they did. It may include teaching about the nature of God, creation, humankind, and other major topics that we couldn't just guess about by looking at things. Doctrine in Scripture includes the story of creation. It includes the story of the fall and what that meant, what that fall actually meant. It includes God's plan for redemption, the promises and fulfillments that God has given. So what kinds of doctrines does Proverbs address? Well, mostly they're very big picture doctrines that we find in Proverbs, but they're there. They're easy to look past, honestly, amidst all the practical direction. But what we see is God is the creator. Big truth. God is the creator. Proverbs 3.19 tells us that the Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. So Solomon is confirming to us, in case we are wondering, God is the creator. Core piece of doctrine. What's another one? God is omniscient. He knows everything. Absolutely everything. The things that are visible and the things that aren't visible. 
And one particular proverb that calls this out, Proverbs 16, 2, tells us, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Now, how could the Lord weigh motives? It's because he can see our hearts. He can know our thoughts, all of us, all of our thoughts. And when we think about that, uh, we, we better be careful. <laughs> we can't be proud when we know that God can read our minds. What's another truth about God that Proverbs communicates to us? God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he is sovereign. He is the rightful ruler of all. He has the power over everything, and he has the right to make his will happen. Proverbs 21.1 tells us, A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. This is remarkable to think about, that God is saying, I not only have the right, but I have the ability to change a king's heart and take him down the path I want him to go. And we see examples of that in Scripture. Omnipotent and sovereign. And God is transcendent and mysterious. Proverbs 30 asks a question. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son, if you know? What a remarkable thing that's written there, in, right there in Proverbs. What is the name of his son, if you know? This is, this is 950 B.C., but God is so far above us, we can't approach him. He is transcendent. Whatever we learn about him will be because he either tells us directly or he allows, it to know, he allows us to know. And we hear the unanswered question in here. The answer does not come in Proverbs. What is the name of his son, if you know? The Proverbs is asking the right question, but the answer won't come until another 950 years later when Jesus is born and reveals to the world, this is the Son of God, and his name is Jesus. Powerful, right there in Proverbs. We see in Proverbs 1-7, and Kevin highlighted this one last week, and we could highlight this one every week, to be honest. It's so important. What does it say? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this truth is that God is to be rightly feared. So the doctrine of Proverbs emphasizes the power and the sovereignty of God. We must understand that God created the world by his power and wisdom. And he rules it by his sovereignty and his knowledge. We must know that absolutely nothing is secret from him. We can fool our parents. We can fool our friends. We can fool our spouses. But not even good deeds will fool God if our motives are not pure. What is the reasonable approach then of a human to a God like this? He has all power, all authority, and all knowledge of everything, even our hidden motives. Fear? Fear makes sense, honestly. And that's what Proverbs reminds us. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If we don't fear God, it's because we don't understand his power and his knowledge of us. Understanding God's place above and our place below is the beginning of understanding anything else at all. Have you believed something else besides these truths that led you to not fear God? Our fear of him is not based on him being unpredictable or mean or crazy. That's not it. He's not those things. He's not looking to surprise us with some disaster just because it's fun for him. The fear comes from understanding that he is perfectly good 
and we're not. And the perfectly good has the right to destroy the bad if it chooses. That should cause fear. If you understand how good he is and how good we are not. How much power he has and how little we have. That's the fear. Now, if you believe that you're basically good, so you deserve God's love, you need to go back to scripture. That's not what the scripture tells us. You should fear God because he's good and you're not. But then let that fear and that truth drive you to seek his mercy because he is merciful as well. He's powerful. He's to be feared, but he is merciful. And when he describes himself to Moses, that's how he described himself first. The Lord, the Lord, merciful. First adjective. Have you believed that you could trick God with your words or your actions as if, as if he were a person? Don't try. He can't. But instead, run to him and ask for forgiveness for your deceitful heart. He is faithful to forgive. So we have, we see doctrine. These are the doctrines, at least some of them, that we see in Proverbs. But Proverbs are also profitable for reproof. Also, we can call it rebuking. What is reproof then? Well, we can think of it like a scolding. That's kind of a, maybe a decent synonym. It's telling someone that they're wrong. That what they're doing or saying or believing wrong things. Usually a reproof or a rebu- rebuke is given to someone who should know better. Right? It's a reminder that your behavior is not measuring up to the doctrine, the teaching that you've received. So reproof can come from many places. Also in 2 Timothy uh, 4.2, Ralph, 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul tells Timothy, he's, he's instructing Timothy how to lead. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And in 1 Timothy 5.20, he tells Timothy, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. And then he cautions him in that same uh, set of verses, Timothy 5.1. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So he's instructing Timothy, keep your body honest. Rebuke people when they need rebuking. But if you have to deal with an older man, be very, be very gentle and respectful. Um, it's, it's really remarkable the, the subtlety that Paul's communicating to Timothy of how to handle himself. But clearly, there's a call for Timothy to rebuke. Um, the, and this is valuable to understand. But Proverbs, as we look at Proverbs, it's focused more on how to receive a rebuke than to how to give one, right? And most of us, all of us, all of us need lesson in receiving probably more than we need in giving. Because we can easily find the faults and, and figure out how to give someone else a rebuke, but receiving it is, it's no fun. It's never fun, and it's hard. But what does Proverbs say about receiving a rebuke? Proverbs 19.25 tells us, strike a mocker and the inexperienced will learn a lesson. Rebuke the discerning and he gains knowledge. See that? How many of you like to get rebuked? I'm not raising my hand. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But if you rebuke a discerning person, he will gain knowledge from it. And if you are the person being rebuked, if you're discerning, you will use it to gain knowledge. You will welcome it. Proverbs 17.10 tells us a rebuke cuts into a perceptive person more than a hundred lashes into a fool. Just picture, the, picture what, Paul, what Solomon's saying there. 
more, it makes more of an impact on somebody who has some discernment and some sensitivity about right and wrong to receive a verbal rebuke than some fool getting lashed a hundred times across his back. We want to be the first one. We want to be the sensitive one for whom a rebuke matters to us. Don't, don't make God give us the corporal punishment. That's not where we want to be. Proverbs teaches us to welcome a rebuke as an opportunity to learn. Can you accept that truth? Let me ask you, what change, what change do you need to make to your attitude so that you could receive a rebuke as a chance to learn rather than as an insult to your pride? I'm preaching myself too, just saying. This is what we need to be. These proverbs, while they seem like they attack and, and approach all these practical subjects, they're touching our heart. God sometimes sends rebuke through the least welcome channel. Have you ever had that happen? Have you been rebuked by the last person you want to be rebuked by? Sometimes that's how God does it. Be ready to hear it. Be ready to change when you need to. Let me ask you this. Who enjoys being lectured about something that they already know? Anybody, anybody have a particular pet peeve for that? I know I hate it. I do not want to be told what I already know. Connie could probably tell you that. Um, I don't always receive it very gracefully. Um, but if it happens, why do you think it might be happening? Is it possibly because your behavior is not reflecting the things that you say you know? And so they feel like they need to tell you? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Sometimes it's uh, the other person not realizing what a genius you are. But sometimes, <laughs> probably more often, it's that while you may, you may know something, uh, your behavior isn't matching up. Not measuring up. You need to be reminded. Again, will you allow your pride to stop you from hearing God's rebuke? Because he happened to send it through the mouth of another flawed human? Because those are the mouths he's got to work with here, right? Be careful. Solomon tells us the word for those who are too proud to receive a rebuke. You know what the word is? Fool. It's a tough word. But it's a fool who cannot receive a rebuke. All right. Proverbs are profitable for correction. So they're profitable for doctrine, for rebuke, and not for correction. Correction is related to a rebuke, right? Without the assumption, though, of prior knowledge. So in a rebuke, there's kind of an assumption that you know the right thing. You're just not doing it. So I'm going to get on to you. Correction is a little bit different. It's a little more gentle. Um, sometimes we need to be corrected because we're doing something wrong without realizing it. Right? And this happens so often in parenting, but it really never stops. You, if, if you're growing and learning your whole life. Where rebuke uh, can simply be... Rebuke can simply be what you're doing is wrong. Correction could be something more like, I see you're having trouble here. Let me show you how that ought to be done. Right? So it's a, it's a more gentle approach. For parents, for managers, for leaders in any context, it's critical to understand the difference between a rebuke and a correction. And I know that in our house, there are things I have explained very carefully to save my oldest daughter, Rachel. She was the first in time. So I explained things very carefully to her. And over the years, in my mind, I've explained this scenario before. And poor Anna comes along. 
But maybe she was younger and she didn't get the explanation. And so Anna gets a rebuke instead of a correction. And she's thinking, but I know you never told me, right? Um, and it's funny because we were just last night, we were at the dinner table and the girls were swapping stories. And Anna told the story and I thought, oh my gosh, I got to put that in my message. <laughs> Anna said, when she was little, and we were, we were all at Camino, one of our favorite restaurants, and we were... We were having the chips and dip that they bring out and cause you to be a glutton every time. And, and Anna was trying to figure out, I want to be a big girl. I've never really liked this salsa stuff, but all the big people are eating it, so I want to I be part of that deal. So she took a chip, and she dipped it in a little bit of salsa just to make sure it wasn't too much, and she took a bite, and oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I think I can make this work. So she went and got some more. But guess what? Somebody was watching. Somebody was ready to pounce. That was dad. Dad was ready because Anna found herself in deep salsa because she had committed the crime, the great crime of double dipping. You can't double dip the salsa. It's not okay. <coughs> but the problem is for Anna, while well, Rachel and Sarah had the benefit of careful instruction, Anna was supposed to just absorb it by osmosis. She was supposed to know the rules. She failed to do that, and she was in trouble. So, <laughs> so that's my way of confession, right? I'm not a perfect dad. Still not. We can laugh about it now. But, but I know there's other places where that's happened, right? Rachel was the first, and I'm trying to figure it out everything and be perfect dad. So I'm very careful to coach and teach and... And Anna comes along, I'm like, just do it right, would you? What's the problem? <laughs> so, remember Paul's words to Timothy about how to give correction. What were the words he said? How to give correction? With great patience and teaching. That's what Paul told Timothy. That's the approach, with great patience and teaching. It works with your kids, but it works for everyone else too. If you lead people at work, if you lead people at church, with great patience and teaching, that's how to give correction and rebuke even. So Proverbs focuses on the heart and the attitude of the recipient of the correction far more than the one giving the correction. So let's look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs 6.23 For a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. Corrective discipline is the way to life. That's, what, that's how we should value correction. It's a way to life. Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. Sorry if anyone has that word banned in their household. It's right in the Bible, I promise. Uh, we, had, we had another situation back in Sunday school once where one of the, I don't know which girl it was, told the teacher that we used the S word in our house. And um, that word was stupid. Uh, but that's not what the teacher thought. Pro, pro, <laughs> Proverbs Proverbs 15.10 tells us, Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. The one who hates correction will die. So correction is the way to life. One who hates it is stupid. And the one who hates correction will die. Um, Solomon could hardly have been more clear. This is a heart check. God is speaking to you and me through Solomon today. Do you welcome correction? Are you listening for it? 
It is the way to life. That's what the scripture says. Proverbs are profitable for training in righteousness. So they're profitable for doctrine. They're profitable for rebuke. They're profitable for correction. And they're profitable for training in righteousness. Training is very closely related to discipline. Not all discipline is punishment. And sometimes we, we get those words a little bit mixed up. When we say, oh, I'm going to go discipline my kid. Well, we really mean I'm going to go punish my kid. Um, oftentimes we mean that. But discipline is really a good thing. It's a positive thing. One definition I've heard of discipline I, I like is doing the right thing at the right time. That's discipline. Um, so how does one become trained in discipline and righteousness? In right living through instruction, practice, and obedience. And that's what the Proverbs are good for, this training in righteousness. At first, we must be carefully controlled. When we're little, we have to be controlled. But as we learn and grow, we get more freedom and more space to choose our way. Right? So... Proverbs 3 has two verses, verses 1 and 2, and then 11, to 11 and 12 I'm going to read. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. And then later in that same chapter, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Solomon appeals to his son to not forget his words, to hold on to his instructions, because he's giving his son the freedom to make his own way. And the strict control of a father over a young son has become now the appeal of a father to an adult son to choose well and wisely for his own good. Now the son must choose the good, even when it's hard or unpleasant. And that is what Solomon is asking him to do. Choose what's right. Don't let go of my instruction. I was talking to Sailor the other day, and she was telling me about getting her braces removed. This is an interesting thing. I was thinking about this. Um, so she got her braces removed. Now, Sailor and her teeth are now at a critical point. It's the same point that Solomon's son is at, right? You've, you've been controlled in the house. Now you have a choice to make, right? So she had the braces, like the strict control over a young child. And neither sailor nor sailor's teeth had any choice but to conform to what the orthodontist and the braces were doing. That was what, that's it. The teeth are going to be conformed by these metal brackets. And it worked. Now her teeth are nice and, nice and straight. But you know what? Now she's entering the retainer mode, she told me. And she's not really enjoying it that much, I don't think. The braces are gone, but for the straightening to become permanent, what has to happen? Now, Sailor must choose to obey the orthodontist. She has to put the retainer in. And, and she's wearing them right now. Good job. And I did not set her up. So she is obedient without being set up. Are retainers, do retainers feel good in your mouth? No. They make your mouth sore and they hurt. But are they the right thing to do? To keep your teeth straight? And to finish the job of setting, setting you up for your life? Yes. And that's what Solomon's saying to his son. Son, I had you in my house. I controlled you. Your behavior was controlled by me. But now I'm appealing to you. Don't forget my instruction. Keep it. Use it. Carry it forward. Because why? You'll have long life in many days. Yeah. You have your character. That's what's left. 
So your orthodontist might say, forsake not my instruction. Wear thy retainer. We are the same spiritually. There's spiritual and life disciplines that we should practice, but God gives us freedom to obey or not. Obedience is life and success, but the braces don't stay on forever. Sooner or later, it comes down to us. Do we believe God? Will we remember and obey his instructions like Solomon and asked, like Solomon asked his son? Remember that it is for our good that God disciplines the ones he loves. And, and as we look back at the, that other passage from Titus, it tells us that we, that we have now become heirs. Um, that's, that's so powerful to think about that concept. If we're, if we're heirs, if we're children of God, then of course he would discipline us. And why would he discipline us? Because he loves us and he wants what's good for us. So just as Solomon is talking to his son in these verses, God is talking to us through these verses. Because we are his heirs. So if, you, if uh, the musicians want to step up here, I'm going to say a few words in closing and then we'll pray. Um, God wants to save you. That we know. If you've not trusted him to pay for your sins, the wrong things you've said and done, he wants you to trust him. But if you have trusted him, that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's the beginning. Because now he wants you to live out the new reality in your new life, becoming more like his son. He's given us the Bible to guide us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to comfort and help. And as we study this book, the Proverbs, together, I hope that you'll choose obedience and discipline. Because like, this, like the Proverbs says, it'll, it's a garland on your neck. It's, it's a blessing. I hope that you can see that far from being a dry book of old advice, Proverbs was given by our loving Father to us to teach us things we don't know, to rebuke us when we're in the wrong, to correct us when we get off track, and then to train us in His perfect discipline. All through Proverbs, expect to have your attitude and your very heart challenged. If that's not happening, you're not reading it right.